0: About 25 years ago, the leader of a very large conference that I was at asked me if I would speak, do a short talk, and then lead the Lord's Supper for about 5,000 people. And he asked me while I was actually away at the conference with less than a day's notice. Now I was uh, used to speaking, but to much smaller gatherings, with material that I had carefully prepared in advance, and so this was a bit of a shock to me and quite a challenge. And it wasn't a case of accessing talks stored on a cloud using an iPad or a phone. That hadn't been invented yet. Email wasn't yet available either. Instead, I had to phone a volunteer here at Trent, who then drove over to my home, unlocked my office, went to my filing cabinet, found a talk that I had given before, and then uh, they had to fax it. Anyone remember these machines? Fax it to the office on site so that I could print it and it was about three times the length of what I was gonna be delivering, so I then had to just scroll across it and cross bits out and scribble bits in to try and create a talk just in time to mount this terrifying stage. The talk went fine in the end, but the following year, and I said, don't ever do that to me again, please, that was terrible. The following year at the conference, he asked me to do it again, to do another talk, uh, the evening before the morning session. Now, it was too late to call a volunteer, This time, so I was faced with the task of writing whatever it was from scratch uh, late that evening. Now, I confess that this time I chickened out. I just bounced the invitation to a friend of mine who had a lot more speaking experience than I did, and he did it instead. I had this really quite privileged opportunity to speak to thousands of people, which just required a bit of courage. But because of my fear of failure and the potential embarrassment of standing up without something sort of well-prepared to say, I chose to take an easy way out. I wonder if any of you can relate to an experience like that. When presented with what is apparently a God-given opportunity which requires courage, that you've backed away from it, from going for it. Or or perhaps it's the case that I'm the only one who has ever done that, and perhaps I'm alone. Some of you might right now be thinking about doing something. Maybe it's related to your career or, or perhaps it's even a role here at Trent, serving in some leadership role or something like that. And you believe this opportunity to be right. You believe that, yeah, the Lord seems to be initiating this, but you're scared. It's a risk. Here's another kind of challenge which I want to look at this morning. We're look at these two things. Others of you might now, right now, be facing some sort of ongoing circumstance which is really frustrating to you. And you find yourself thinking, if only this would change, if only that could be different. So there's these two things, the invitation to risk and the frustration of ongoing circumstances. And if you're not currently experiencing either of these challenges, then it probably means that you recently have done, or sorry to say it, you are just about to. Okay, so... Today I want to look at what the life of one of my favorite Bible characters has to say about the circumstances that I've described. About 1,300 years BC, Moses had successfully led the Israelites out of Egypt where they had been enslaved for hundreds of years, and they'd crossed the desert, they were ready to go into the land that God had promised them, and uh, Israel was a nation of probably well over a million people. And they had nowhere to live. They had nowhere to settle. And it was normal at that time to have to fight for a place to live. Wherever they went, they would find themselves being attacked by other nations and tribes. They they had to establish a place of their own. And so Moses sent 12 men to go and check out. The land and see how good it was and also check out the opposition that they might be facing there. And they, these guys came back with huge bunches of grapes and other fruit, and they raved about this land which they described as flowing with milk and honey. But 10 of these 12 men were afraid to go up because the cities were well protected by giants known as the Anakites. The Anakites, and then one of them, Caleb, Spoke up, Numbers 13, verse 30. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. I want to look at a couple of things in Caleb's life that we can learn from when faced with taking risks or frustrating ongoing circumstances. As he faces something which involves risk, we see this Caleb was confident in the Lord's provision. Ten of these 12 men started spreading concerns about these giants uh, among the other Israelites, saying that they're stronger than we are, which they were. We seem like grasshoppers compared to them. Evidently, they were a larger tribe of people. And doubt was whipped up across the whole community, who then shouted and wept and riled against Moses and Aaron, their leaders, saying that it would have been better to have died in Egypt or died in the wilderness than be facing what they were now facing. They even suggested it would be better to go back to Egypt and enter slavery again than face these giants. And Caleb tore his clothes. Despite the fact they're now in the desert... No hope of, you know, going to a thrift shop or some other outlet or ordering online or anything else. He's like he's ripping his only robes there because it's so frustrating. And he says to the community, if the Lord is pleased with us, Numbers 14 at verse 8, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. We see this young man with incredible confidence, and yet the people failed to agree with him. They effectively rebelled against the Lord in settling for what they saw as the easy route. They saw what faced them as an insurmountable obstacle. Caleb saw what was before them as an obstacle, but... With the Lord behind it, he saw that obstacle as a challenging opportunity. And Caleb, his tenacity in pushing the people to go and take the land was entirely due to his confidence in the Lord's provision, not his confidence in their own strength. When the people realized they disobeyed the Lord, they regretted their decision, and they decided, we, we're going to go up, we're going to go and do it, we'll, do, we'll go and fight for some land here. And Caleb said, well, I'm not going The Lord's not in this one. You can go alone. Because the Lord had not initiated that battle. And they got badly beaten because they were presuming on the Lord's help. That's Caleb as a, a relatively young man, full of zeal and enthusiasm. After 40 years of wandering through the desert with the people of Israel, and then five years of battles east of the Jordan River, Caleb was just as confident that the Lord had promised them that land. And he said to Joshua, who became the leader after Moses, this is Joshua fourteen 11, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. This guy's 85 years old. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. 20 years into drawing his pension. Someone wrote this about him. This old man who should have been pulling on his slippers was talking of binding on shoes of iron so that he could ascend the mountain and rout the giants before whom the timid quailed. Some of you will recognize the name George Foreman. You might know him best as the face promoting the George Foreman lean, mean, fat-reducing grilling machine of which over a hundred million have sold. If you're nearer my age, you may remember him as the world heavyweight boxing champion. In 1973, he beat Joe Frazier, knocking him down six times in a two-round fight and taking the title. He stopped boxing four years later in 1977. George had a profound conversion experience. He became an ordained Baptist minister, and he opened a youth and community center using sport to invest in young people. Ten years after he hung up his gloves, he was running out of money to fund the center and announced that he was coming back into boxing. He hadn't got another product, he hadn't got another grill to market, and he had little education, but this is a quote from him, he figured... I can hit people hard. (laughs) Now, he'd become rather overweight. He would probably have done well to have used that low-fat grill he had marketed rather more often than he had. But because he needed the money to fund the Youth and Community Centre, he went back to the gym, and he got back through a lot of hard work to boxing fitness. And in 1994, 20 years after being heavyweight champion, he fought the reigning heavyweight champion of the world and won, breaking three records in one go. At 45, 45 years old, he became the oldest fighter to ever win the world heavyweight title. 20 years after losing his title, he became the fighter with the largest interval between world championships. And he fought the 26-year-old reigning world champion. And being 19 years his senior, it was the largest age gap of any heavyweight boxing championship fight in history. What a guy. George had something perhaps of a similar spirit to our hero here, to Caleb. A man way too old to be thinking about taking on such enormous challenges, and yet he was up for it anyway. Just last month, at age 60, Michelle Yeoh became the first Asian woman to win an Oscar for best actress in her role in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. In her Academy acceptance speech, she said said this. Don't let anybody tell you, you are ever past your prime. Never give up. (laughs) Amen. Was that from in the room? (laughs) Along with Caleb, what George and Michelle so powerfully model is quite a challenge for those of us who are of more advanced years. Perhaps some of you who are of more advanced years than I am it's quite a challenge. The Lord still has significant things for you to do. The land on which Caleb had walked 45 years previously was the hill of Hebron, the highest place in the whole of Palestine, some 3,000 feet above sea level, and being so elevated, it was highly defendable. It had an incredible view, which made it very, very difficult to attack, especially defensible from Hebrews on foot. And it was defended by giants who lived there. People, obviously, a race who are of substantial build. And despite his advanced years, Caleb wasn't content to settle for some relatively easy to take piece of land. The Lord had promised him he could have Hebron, and that is what he was determined to go for. Here's an interesting thing the first chapter of the book of Judges. Tells us that the 12 tribes of Israel took on various peoples of Canaan, none of whom were as apparently unbeatable as the Anakites. But though they all had success, they all had to share land with their enemies. But verse 20 of chapter 1 says this As Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who drove from it the three sons of Anak, Anarch, the Anakites. So, at age age 85, he took on the most difficult task of his entire life, the most difficult task of the whole nation, and it seems he achieved the most complete triumph of all the tribes of Israel. Caleb refused to settle for second best for what was safe. He just wanted everything the Lord had for him, even if it involved great risk and great difficulty, and he had enormous confidence that the Lord would provide everything he needed We're not encouraged just to be simply radical risk-takers for the sake of it. We're called to join in with what God is doing and live a life of risk, a life of try. We're going to hear about, I think it's probably next Sunday, from a visiting speaker. We're called to join in with what God's doing, take the risks he invites us to, knowing that if it's the Lord that's initiating something, we can have confidence in his plan. Maybe it's the following Sunday after that. Jordan saying, Over the past 26 and a half years as a church, we've faced huge challenges, and the Lord has intervened at so many crucial moments. So we were at one point in Notts County Football Stadium, we were facing the problem that we just didn't have space to let anybody else join the church, and so we had to find a bigger building, and uh, we bought the land on which you're now sitting and we built this warehouse. And then over the following years, we bought more land. We then extended this building. We developed the youth center, the compassion building, the children's center, kids center. And many times during that journey, we faced giants that looked utterly insurmountable. We were up against what seemed to be insurmountable planning permission challenges. And the challenge of the invitation to give the money over the years Members of this church gave over 10 million pounds. We gave two and a half million of it away, spent it on the poor and other churches and mission and stuff, but gave, you know, an amount where every time I had to get up and there was a brochure with too many zeros in it, you know, we'd never heard of a church in this country giving, raising that sort of money. Some of those phases were just so out of realistic reach that we could have shrunk back many times we were tempted to we could have played it safe gone for something smaller but we were convinced at every stage it was the lord's plan and had we shrunk back his plans for us would have been frustrated as they were with the people of israel shying away from the challenge that god placed in their path i'm proud of every Part of our history, you know, it's amazing the people who have paved the way. Some of you here are the beneficiaries of extraordinary generosity and uh, fighting battles. Think about that for a moment in your own life, just personally. Is there something you sense the Lord is probably in, the Lord may be asking you to do, but you are afraid to do? I believe there's a fresh invitation from the Lord today to learn from Caleb, to have confidence in the Lord And to say yes to that. So that's the first thing we see in Caleb, that he is confident in the Lord's provision. Secondly, as Caleb faced circumstances which might cause him to wish things were different, we see that Caleb was content with the Lord's will. It's interesting to look at Caleb's temperament. On the one hand, he's evidently a passionate guy. He's pioneering. He's not wanting to settle. For instance, when the Israelites wanted to return to Egypt, he was so frustrated he tore his clothes, as I said. But on the other hand, where the Lord's will was just the opposite to his natural inclinations, it seems that there was a sort of contentment in that. For instance, when Caleb with Joshua, Moses, and Aaron pushed hard to persuade the Israelites to go up and fight for the land he was so determined that the people almost threw rocks at him to kill him and shut him up and yet they didn't go and as a result the lord kept them wandering eating manna the occasion a bit of quail wandering through that place for 45 years i've been in the sinai desert it is desolate as far as the eye can see it's arid land of valleys hills and mountains And Caleb had to wait in this environment until he was 85 years old to live in the land he knew that God had promised, the land flowing with milk and honey. He could have so easily become an embittered, grumpy old man, wallowing in self-pity, wallowing in resentment towards the people of Israel who had refused to go and fight. But there is every indication in the story that he was content to accept God's dealings with him without complaint. Not only that, but when Moses approached the end of his life, there were just two obvious candidates in the whole nation. Excellent candidates from whom to choose the new leader. And Joshua was chosen, not Caleb. He wasn't even made second in command. And yet there is no indication in the text that there was any jealousy that in his heart there, any bitterness towards God. It seems that he was content with the will of God in a less prominent position. And here's another interesting little challenge to his contentment. Once the tribes of Israel had taken the various areas of land, the time came then to give the priests, the tribe of Levi, the Levites, towns in which to live. And so in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 55, we read that the Levites were given Hebron in Judah with its surrounding pasture lands. But the fields and villages around the city were given to Caleb. Now, it's a bit of a mystery how exactly that worked, and Bible commentators suggest various options, including that this summary sentence refers to the Levites being given houses and land within and outside of Hebron such that they shared it with Caleb's tribe. However, it actually worked out. It is evident that Caleb had to share Hebron with the Levites. Caleb was a man who receive what the Lord gave him, the good and the bad, and then he also freely released it back to God, To God, uh, whatever God asked of him, and without resentment, he was content to be where the Lord had put him. Many, many years ago, I used to have a thing called a copy holder, uh, and it had four springs, like this illustration. Can you believe we couldn't find a single large enough photograph on the whole of the internet to, to show what it was like? But it looks like that, Thank you, Micah, for making that image. It's designed so that all these counterbalancing springs, you can angle it and put it wherever you want on your desk. You put a piece of paper on it, you're copying or whatever, typing. And uh, just the one I bought was secondhand, and it only had three springs. So it was missing one of them. And despite my attempt with an elastic band to kind of make it work, it would only settle in certain positions, positions it apparently was happy with, somewhat unpredictably. So if I put it somewhere it wasn't happy, It would go, try somewhere else. It just wanted to be where it wanted to be. It would just spring back. It was not content to stay where I put it, willfully resisting submitting to my will and continually struggling to obey. In the end, I killed it. (laughs) I replaced it with this. This one, which I now have, is utterly compliant. It has no springs to resist my will, is completely content to sit where I put it at whatever angle I choose to set it at. Powerful picture representing our hero, Caleb. Personally, I'm not given to being patient. I hate feeling constrained. I'm frustrated with being frustrated. And I wonder again if I'm alone probably not. Returning to our journey as a church, although we found a suitable plot of land on which to build in 1999, it took us four years to move into our new home. Now that may not sound a long time to some of you, but those years were really challenging. We found a great piece of land, we had a sale agreed, we're raising the money and so on, and then we lost that land. And then when we found the most superbly located piece of land in the whole of Nottingham, as far as we can tell, we gave enough money to begin building, and then suddenly it was withdrawn from the market. And it was devastating. But we just had to wait. And we learned a valuable lesson about being content. The Lord knew where he wanted us and when, he would open the right door for us, and our door was, sorry, our job was to trust him. And then, out of the blue, the phone rang, and we were asked whether we still wanted that piece of land, and we said yes, and despite having initially been told by the planning office, this is a quote, never in a million years would they grant us permission on that site, we were granted planning permission to build this church building. That site is this site. And near the end of 2003, 20 years ago, we finished building this warehouse. After all the frustration and the waiting, the Lord enabled us to build on the site of his choice, and the blessing we've experienced here, not least in being able to expand the land, expand this building over the years, acquire more land, develop the three other buildings, has been far greater than any one of us could possibly have dreamt. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where your plans are frustrated? Whether you are challenged with whether you'll be content and trust the Lord or metaphorically kick against him because of your lot in life. Do you ever find yourself resenting others or resenting God because of your circumstances? Apparently, Caleb didn't. Or at least if he ever visited that place, he didn't stay there. And the Lord blessed him abundantly, Later on, because of his contentment in being wherever the Lord put him. So he was confident in the Lord's provision, and he was content with the Lord's will. But it's hard, isn't it, to be either? What was his secret? What was it that gave Caleb such confidence and such contentment? The answer is contained in a five-word phrase, which occurs a number of times in the texts that talk about Caleb. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. For example, Caleb said of himself, Joshua 14, verse 8, I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Moses agreed and said to Caleb in the very next verse, Joshua 14, 9, you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. The writer of Joshua says of Caleb in Joshua 14, verse 14, Caleb followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And the Lord said to Moses in Numbers 14, 24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to. You getting the idea? In fact, interestingly, the name Caleb means faith, devotion, wholehearted. He had such confidence in the Lord's provision because in following him wholeheartedly, he was always responding to those things the Lord initiated, not his own goals, his own ambitions, his own ideas, and things that he wanted to do. He knew the Lord would be with him because he was in tune with what the Lord was involved in. He could join in with the Lord knowing that he would provide all the resources necessary to do the job. And his contentment, in the midst of situations which might upset or irritate or even devastate many of us, stemmed from the fact that following the Lord and his agenda was so important to him, he could more easily put aside his own agenda. His highest goal wasn't happiness or security or position or living in Hebron. His highest goal was whatever the Lord wanted. If the Lord put him in a given situation, that's where Caleb was content to be, whether it was comfortable or not. Some of us are currently facing circumstances where God's will involves taking courage and saying yes to a huge challenge, something perhaps you're facing you cannot do in your own strength, something which causes you to be fearful. I would encourage you, as I encourage myself, to follow Caleb's example. Discern rightly, but if God is prompting this, don't hold back on taking a risk, doing something that scares you. Some of us are facing the equally difficult situation where God's will is that we wait. And again, Caleb is an inspiration in his contentment to be where God put him. Even when it wasn't his fault that he faced difficult circumstances, he waited patiently, it seems, for 45 years. And even when the Lord... When he had achieved his goal, he did go up and fight. He did take Hebron at the age of 85. When the Lord then asked him to share it, he readily did so. Caleb was able to live in confidence and contentment because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Would you join me in asking yourself the question, am I following the Lord wholeheartedly or half-heartedly? or somewhere between the two? Whether you sense the Lord asking you to take a new risk or to endure frustration, will you follow the Lord wholeheartedly and with confidence and contentment like Caleb? Some of you may not be following the Lord at all, and today will be a great time to commit your life to doing just that. This life is not about us. It's not about us achieving only what we can do in our own strength, We're not supposed to be limited to that. And it's not about us striving to get what we want. This life is about one thing, and that is following the Lord with our whole heart. If that is our goal, if we surrender our own weakness and our own desires to the goal of pursuing the Lord with everything we have, we, like Caleb, will know the confidence and contentment which comes with that.